This is the Average Guy Network, and you have found Cyber Frontiers, show number 29, recorded on June 27th, 2016. Here on Cyber Frontiers, we explore cyber security, big data, and the technologies that are shaping the future, all from an academic perspective. I'm your host, Jim Collison, broadcasting live from the Average Guy TV studios here in Bellevue, Nebraska. And, of course, we post the show with world-class show notes at TheAverageGuy.tv. If you have questions, comments, or contributions, you can contact us. Send us an email, jim at TheAverageGuy.tv. If you've got questions after the show, we'd love to have them at that address, jim at TheAverageGuy.tv. Track me down on Twitter at Jay Collison, or you can now, I always say call in those questions, but we actually, nobody called them in, so we discontinued the, so, the phone number for that. But if you do have questions, either tweet them at me or send me an email. I did have somebody this week send me a video question, which was awesome. It'll be for home gadget geeks, but a great way to do that. Just fire up your phone, take a video, send it over to me. And we love, we'll play those right here on the show. Of course, theaverageguy.tv is powered by Maple Grove Partners. Web hosting, get secure, reliable high-speed hosting from people you know and you trust for more information and for plans that start as little as $10 a month with WordPress, it was specializing in WordPress and secure WordPress hosting. Both web hosting and media hosting if your podcast are perfect plans at 10 bucks. Check us out, maplegrovepartners.com. Some great plans. Right, Christian? Some great plans over there? Pretty great. No complaints, you know. <laughs> yeah, Our good customers stuff. are happy. They, they are, and uh, the average guy.tv is, of course, is a customer, and so if you, uh, you got any questions, you can always ask me. Cyber Frontiers is also part of the Geeks Network. Find the link to this show and many other great podcasts at thegeeksnetwork.com. All right, well, we've, uh, we have been waiting for the show for a little while. We actually got shipped uh, some equipment. Uh, oh, it's been a month or so now, so our friends over to Nanabox, we appreciate you guys being patient with us. Uh, we talked about this on two shows on Home Gadget Geeks, we've kind of covered it, but I was dying to get one of these in the hands, in your hands, Christian. And so for the folks that are watching, Anonabox, uh, again, are these VPN and Tor devices, the Pro VPN if, uh, for, for, the, uh, for the standard devices, VPN and, Pro, and Tor for the Pro devices. Literally, if you can see, uh, like here's my iPhone, Right here's look how small that is. Uh, device yeah. you can take with you. We're going to talk some more about it. But Christian, welcome to the program, and uh, and thanks for being with us. Thanks. It's going to be back. Uh, definitely going to be a follow-up. I really like the idea that we're doing a product review of something that we've talked about from quote the academic perspective and the average guy perspective last week. Um, so if you haven't watched last week's show, please go ahead and do that because we really covered what it means to be anonymous. How does one get to the deep web? What does all that really mean? So if you want to know the answers to those types of questions, go to the last show because we're going to assume you kind of know what you're talking about on this show for this review. Yeah, and, and Waruna, you, you've seen one of these. Certainly we weren't able to put one in your hands, but uh, you've seen and looked at some of these. What do you think, just on the surface, average guy, as we think about you know, VPN devices, any initial thoughts as we, uh, as we just talk about this in, in a little video review? Right, so uh, just based off the first thing I saw, I thought it was pretty simplistic. Um, so it's not overly complicated, easy to use. I know some of the other um, VPN services or VPN, um, uh, the hardware, it's you know it's a little hard to set up. And um, I've also heard some good things about the uh, software as well, Get being very simple and very easy to use. 
Yeah, one of the things, when we had them on, we actually had them on the show, and then we talked about it in the second show. Um, very, very, you said kind of simplistic or very minimalistic in some regards, yet very right. powerful in what it can do when we think about all the things that's available to it. Simple design from an average guy standpoint, who like a guy like me, with a few simple instructions, I set this up kind of as a travel router for me. So if I was in a hotel room, I could connect this to the Wi-Fi and then connect all my devices to it. Um, I could also connect it. It comes has both an available WAN port on one side and LAN port on the other. So you could go directly through that if you wanted to in your home network and make it a part of the home network space. Christian's going to dig in a little more detail, of course, charging, and there's a USB port on it. But you see how small it is. Christian, when you got this in your hands, some initial thoughts because we sent you one too. Yeah, I mean, it feels great. So here's the, you know... The, the standard bearer, so to speak, in terms of small compute devices. This is a Raspberry Pi 3 in a uh, black uh, Vilrose case, so you can see that size. Now, here's the Virtual Lab installation of the Nanobox Pro. So you can see, even in comparison to the Raspberry Pi, uh, major difference. Everyone is now considering the Raspberry Pi, you know, it's a they accept this model form factor as the you know standard pocket computer and the Nanobox Pro nicely is about the same width with the case um, and certainly much smaller form factor so it passes the Raspberry Pi test um, you can see I have all the cables plugged in right now we're actually podcasting over the Nanobox Pro so at least my connection out to you guys today is running solely through um, the virtual lab environment I created using the Nanobox Pro and uh, we're going to talk about that setup in a few short minutes. Yeah, what do you want to start with, Christian? I was going to I was going to have you dive kind of right into your setup, but what do you want to talk about before we get to that? Yeah, no, I just uh, a couple initial things. I think it's always important. How does the user kind of perceive the product when they get it out of the casing? Um, and of course, where I put the casing is another entire difference. But what I did put next to me is the uh, manual they include. They include this nice little user guide getting started. Honestly, one of the easiest, you know, most simple reads uh, out there to get it from all the way through. And you don't really have to be that technical to follow these instructions. I mean, this is definitely something that an average guy can sit here, read this, and if you know anything about computing, like how to get to your computer, you can go through this manual, which I thought was a big selling point for this company um, because one of the things we talked about in the last show is kind of the barrier to market when you try and get the average guy to understand anonymity. So how do you sell it simple and sell it sexy? This user manual is kind of, I think, a launching point to that. Um, I was able to get the initial setup of this done in like 15 minutes tops. And then that was, you know, including the fact that I'm, I created a virtual lab environment um, for demoing today. So uh, really simple to install. I didn't have to sit there and really understand it. Um, when we go through and walk through the software, you're going to see that the software is kind of like your own home router. So if you've ever been in the router admin interface, very similar to that. Um, really nice software stack. I think the hardware inside kind of really fits the bill for what this type of device is. Um, so really, uh, I was impressed with just the overall packaging and the instructions because it was super easy to follow. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I, I was super impressed with that. I got it up and running and just a few minutes can connect to it via Wi-Fi or go directly and via cable. And so 
it's an easy setup. Christian, why don't you talk a little bit about how you have it configured there? Because there's a couple different ways to do this, and you mentioned you're kind of running your current connection through it that we're podcasting on. So just kind of walk folks through so they know how you have it set up. Yeah, so again, you can see um, if you're on the video podcast, I have three cables plugged into this device right now. Um, one is the USB power. This is actually just being powered straight off my desktop, so there's no separate power supply or anything like that. If you had a laptop, you would power it up the same way. If you wanted to wall mount it or do something like that, you could just plug it straight into the wall. They give you a, uh, a wall adapter as well. Um, the cable on my left is going to the desktop that I am podcasting from. So that's the LAN port. That would be the equivalent of uh, me connecting my cell phone to the Anonabox over Wi-Fi. On the right side is my WAN port. And so what I do is I have a desktop next to me that is simulating what your ISP would be giving you. So my desktop is acting as the internet service provider in this case and passing an internet connection down to the Anonabox that then either wireless or wired clients can get through this device. Um, and so that's the demo lab environment that we'll be showing today. Hmm, pretty cool. So both wired and wireless. Uh, wireless setup for you, wireless setup is just a matter of kind of turning the thing on, connecting to it, following the instructions in the book, configuring it that way. Wired connection is just as simple, right? Yeah, and I think one of the great features about this that a lot of people don't realize is, yes, it's very mobile because it's very small, but it can also be a permanent fixture in your network. So from that LAN port, you could plug that into a switch and have as many wired you know, tenants on the uh, box as you want. So it's not uh, just because you have one LAN port doesn't mean you're restricted to one hardwired um, client, obviously. So, you know, if you have a hub or you want to put it in a network where most of your folks are hardwired, um, you can certainly do that. So I think that's an important capability for people who are looking for performance instead of the wireless uh, capability. Christian, when we think about use case for for most people, and then let's think about use case for the edge, <laughs> you sure. know, the, the, the extreme edges. So for most people, where's the sweet spot for this? I think most people, they want to be able to plug it into their laptop, connect to it wirelessly, and then either use a VPN service or Tor. And I think that this box achieves that in 15 minutes of setup time, and then reuse is very fast. Um, one of the other really cool things about this box that um, I didn't necessarily realize at first is you can go totally wireless, which is cool because basically it will make you know a wireless router that your clients can connect to, and then the the Anana box itself uses a wireless connection as its uplink to basically be what your ISP WAN port is. So basically, you can have a fully wireless device, right? It gets the internet from one wireless repeater, and then it broadcasts a an SSID out for other devices to connect to. So really cool that it can do the whole um, WAN to LAN translation uh, in a purely wireless fashion. And, and who did you use for your VPN? Because you need a VPN service of some kind, right, to, to pass this through. Who did you use for that? 
Um, so I actually did not use a VPN this time. I went over the Tor network, and that's what I'm going to demonstrate today. Um, so that's the really cool thing, is there's really three different modes of operation with this device. You can use it as a small router network hub with no animization taking place, just you know straight wireless devices connecting and getting internet. You can use it with VPN services like Hide My Ass, so this is a free 30-day uh, trial of that service, and that's built in. Uh, the Pro Edition also has Viper VPN uh, built in, which we'll give a try. Probably the most common uh, VPN for enthusiasts that's uh, packaged in is OpenVPN. So that's one that you can you know, create and manage yourself if you run your own OpenVPN server. Um, and then obviously the Tor network. So you really get three different modes. Do you want to go on Tor? Do you want to run a VPN? Or do you want to run it directly, vanilla? Um, and so um, today... You know, right now I'm podcasting on the vanilla portion of the box, but at the same time I'm also running Tor, and I'll show you how that splits out. But it sounds kind of counterintuitive, like what? How can you, you know, have it doing both at the same time? And so I'll kind of show that. But that's a really cool capability. So for the average user, we think mostly travel router or secure. Like if you're in a if you're in a hotspot location or a free Wi-Fi, maybe airports, maybe Starbucks. Those kind of scenarios, and if you wanted to run out VPN to secure your connection going out, you could do it that way. From the edge case, Christian, as we just kind of think about that, what what's who, who's living out on the edge with this thing, and what kind of value does it have to them for those for those edge case scenarios? Yeah, I think the edge case scenario, probably honestly Tor enthusiasts, um, this lets you get directly into the uh, Tor configuration and change it as you want. So you can use it as both a kind of a Tor client in the sense that you're connecting to the router to use the Tor network. You can also use it to act as like an exit node or as a relay, so you can have the box become a part of the Tor network if you wanted, if you really wanted to. Um, so I think there's a lot of enthusiast capability in being able to really drill down into those configurations and get it just the way you want it. Um, there's also a lot of folks who will take advantage of those premium VPNs, um, and so I think that's kind of the second tier. I think I see more people gravitating towards Tor in the enthusiast community, at least. Um, although that is kind of hard to measure because I feel like there are definitely solid VPN services that people use that they trust. Um, so at that point, it really comes down to which provider are you most comfortable with. And, and what's the advantage to using a Tor network versus going VPN? You're on Tor now, but what's the advantage to either one of those for me, say the average guy? Sure. So yeah, they all really have different capabilities. Um, I think the kind of the most simple example I can paint is let's say you're using OpenVPN. You are either self-hosting OpenVPN somewhere else, or you are paying OpenVPN, the commercial version, to have an account. Most likely in that scenario, when you connect to that VPN, you're only going to be coming out of one new IP address, right? And that IP address might be traceable over time. So when we talk about anonymity, I can probably, with a fair certain degree of confidence, watch your traffic over time and say, oh, that's Jim connecting to his VPN. Um, however, all of your traffic will be secure and encrypted. So I can't see what Jim is doing. All I know is that, hey, that is Jim. So you lose your anonymity, but you maintain your confidentiality. Um, with Tor, you get both. You maintain your confidentiality, and you also maintain your anonymity. So with Tor, 
because you're hopping around at different exit nodes all the time, I'm not going to be able to figure out, oh, that's Jim's VPN turning on. Now, there's pros and cons to this. really depends on whether or not you care about the non-repudiation of being able to say, I'm no longer anonymous. With the VPN service, you're probably going to get much better bandwidth. Tor, mm, on a good or bad day, probably you're looking at the 1 to 2 megabits per second range max. So Tor is not designed to go and uh, you know, anonymous and then um, use high bandwidth content. It's really designed for the text, basic images, kind of, you know, I call it the vanilla web browsing. If you're trying to do any media, you're trying to do any content that's, um, you know, beyond the text image, maybe you want to move to a VPN service for that. Now, now you're pushing video across Tor right now? No, so that's okay. the cool thing that I talked about. I am actually using the Anonabox as a vanilla VPN router to have this Hangout, but I also am running a separate session that is into the Tor network. Okay, so, because we're getting really good video from you. Yeah. <laughs> actually rolling through it, which is good, right? The pa We know the pass-through is good right. uh, from that standpoint. I have full HD from you on this side, so that's great. Uh, so what's more impressive about that is when you realize how I set up this virtual lab. So right now, the desktop that I am um, connected to for this call is connected to the Anonabox. The Anonabox is then hardwired to another machine acting as the ISP, and that machine is connected to another wireless network that's actually the real ISP. So really, it's going through like three or four different layers, and we're still getting crystal clear HD. That definitely means it passes my test for being able to push and pull packets. Yeah, no, good stuff. Varuna, any thoughts uh, in all these pieces that Christian was talking about? Anything that you want to add or any questions you got for Christian? Right, so Christian, what if the reason that people use uh, VPNs or you know things like Anonabox are in countries where the government itself censors uh, traffic? So how effective is it in countries, say, like China or Germany, that might um, limit their uh, the citizens' um, ability to freely browse the web? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, really, with Tor, it's a, it's a kind of a mixed bag, right? Because what you have to do is you have to be able to build a circuit that can get in and out of that country. So that might be hard to do in a country where they're clamping down on the exit nodes. The way they will do it, though, is they might not have control necessarily over how you connect, but a lot of services, there's there's really two things. Um, a, a nation like China could choose to block all your entrance nodes so that you can't establish a connection to the Tor router, which is kind of hard to do because there's a lot of entry... Um, there's a lot of entry nodes that are outside of China, right? So you can definitely... Right probably establish an, an entrance node. What they'll do is um, sites that they are trying to block, they're going to block those exit nodes, and those are going to be blacklisted. So no matter where you come out, you're not going to be able to get content. Um, that can be a real problem. And so a lot of sites will censor on the site level saying, all Tor exit nodes that are currently running, I, I drop them instantly. So that can be a problem because you're going to lose content. Um, VPNs have the advantage of chances are a nation will not have every VPN IP picked out like Tor does because the Tor network is much, there's a lot more metrics around, around Tor. So if you're trying to kind of avoid censorship, there's ways to do that with a VPN service that isn't heavily, uh, doesn't really have the ability to be regulated. The downside is that there is potentially a 
discoverability case with that where your traffic could be observed over time and if you're not changing your VPNs regularly over time that um, ISP or that country could start to observe and say okay we don't want this VPN anymore we're gonna block it so from that standpoint it might be a chicken and egg problem I think the box definitely goes a long way to getting through some of those censorship cases because it offers the suite of different ways of getting out to the web and getting out to the deep web. Um, so, you know, every country is going to block differently for a different political or ideological reasons. There's going to be different services that they're blocking. And the fact that the Anonabox gives you kind of a, a multitude of different things, I think that's a huge benefit for the, the platform. Right. And you mentioned that uh, Anonabox comes with uh, Viper. Yeah, so Viper VPN is one of the new services that they just started with the um, the offerings of the. I believe it's only in the Pro edition, um, mm -hmm. and so Viper VPN is a personal VPN that will basically encrypt the connection. So, like I said, it'll secure that Wi-Fi, protect your data, um, unblock anything that's censored. Again, you might lose the anonymity piece over the time. Um, what's really cool, though, is that it lets you pick your server locations. So you can, over time, enable the if you have a user account, you know, enable the VPN, and then you can change your location. So um, the Anonabox uh, listing here has Austin, Texas, Los Angeles, Washington, Miami, New York City, Chicago, San Fran, and Seattle in the United States. And then there's probably maybe 40 or so other destinations on the globe that this VPN service provides. So that's actually a pretty wide uh, product offering. So that's, that's really actually not bad in terms of um, having a service that lets you pick those hotspot destinations and probably... Um, it also lets you choose the uh, type of encryption. So Viper VPN is an implementation of the OpenVPN protocol that this box supports, and it lets you choose either 160-bit or 256-bit encryption standard. So uh, if you're really worried about someone hacking you at 160, you can bump it up. If you right. want a little bit more bandwidth and performance and you don't want your CPU to be uh, crunching, go for the 160-bit. Christian, you're in a scenario where you can maybe set up your own VPN to, to do this, right, where it would come back to you and then go out to your ISP. Is that a pretty easy setup for you? Would you be capable of setting yeah. that up and configuring it? How, just kind of a, give us a quick rundown on how you might do that. Yeah, definitely. Um, pretty much anyone with PFSense who has any knowledge of PFSense, PFSense lets you uh, put up an OpenVPN uh, instance like that. So if you know how to get OpenVPN or, uh, excuse me, PFSense on your network as your um, routing device, then it's super simple to get that going and connect your Anonabox to, you know, probably in this case your home or business network. Um, OpenVPN also has like uh, client server versions. So I've used OpenVPN in the context of installing it on a Windows Server edition and then tunneling that way. Um, and that, that's definitely doable also. You get into some more difficulties with having to learn how the bridging works and which thing to do. PFSense takes care of a lot of that. So if you're the average guy and you have the ability to muck around with your, um, you know, your router, go with PFSense and then OpenVPN is a super easy step. And I could put uh, PFSense, uh, kind of the front wall protection coming into the home, so to speak. And then I could put any kind of configuration behind that that I wanted to. I could have a wireless router or any of those other things going on, right? And then I could have my Anonabox configured to come back to the PFSense. 
then it's going to act as it's going to secure right that connection between whatever I'm using back to the home, and then that traffic's going to go back out through my ISP, right? Is that traceable though? Once I'm back in my own ISP, if I really want to be anonymous and I'm using that configuration, does that traffic then just get picked up on my ISP? Um, so your ISP will basically see that oh, you're making connections out to Tor network nodes, but they won't be able to see um, where you're going to, who you're talking to, etc. So obviously, at some point, your ISP has to see packets um, because that's how you get out to the internet. But they really can't see much more than oh, you're using Tor on our ISP. Now they might get weird about that. Um, unlikely, um, but really, you know, beyond that, there's not much that they're going to be able to ascertain when using something like that. Okay. Cool. Very, very cool. Well, we've covered some of the details of the box. I want to kind of let you dig in a little bit. Hopefully, you're able to do some screen sharing on yep. this. It, so, am I safe to assume when we think about Tor, we covered a lot of VPN when we covered this on Home Gadget Geek. So, if you go to theaverageguy.tv, search Anonabox, and we did a couple shows on it, including having the the founder and their their marketing guys on. So you might want to listen to that show if this is the first time you've come across this. Uh, we got the guys who actually work on it. They actually challenged us to hack this thing a little bit, come up with some new ways of using it. They're, they're all ears. So if you uh, if you've got one of these, by the way, the pro version 119 right now, so under 19 bucks. If you want to uh, pick that up, you can pick it up on Amazon or right from their site. Uh, that's available for you. But but um, Christian, the um, I forgot where I was going with that. You've got some things uh, that you can bring up on your screen here. Let's talk a little bit about the configuration that you have. Sure. So is everyone able to see the uh, screencast? Yeah, I'm gonna lock you in here. Go ahead. Cool. So this hey, is can the. You, can you before you get started? Can you blow up those fonts just a smidge? Yeah, let's do that. Perfect. Right that? there. Perfect. Awesome. Awesome. So we'll start the home page. Uh, so this is an on-a-box home. This is what it looks like when you get the device up and you enter the uh, local IP that they provide you. Um, you can see that it's using the OpenWrt uh, firmware, which is pretty awesome. So a lot of people use DDWrt to hack their Linksys routers. That used to be the cool kid thing to do uh, back in 2006. <laughs> um, so based kind of in that realm of technologies, I'm going to go ahead and log in. And uh, this is what I get when I get to my home page. Uh, for people who have used PFSense or other administrative interfaces for their router, you're seeing a lot of similar stuff. Uh, just some basics. You get the firmware version of OpenWrt. You get the model of the Nanobox. We see it's the Pro Edition. Uh, we have the kernel version, uh, our local time, which is completely incorrect, um, our uptime, how long the box has been on, and the current CPU load. So those are all really pretty basic statistics. And we can also see what our memory utilization is. We got about 58%. Um, being used right now and about 53% uh, free um, because it also has a buffer. So, yes, 58 plus 50. Are there any IP addresses we shouldn't be showing? Uh, no, that's oh, why okay. it's all a virtual well. Oh, awesome. So, okay. Got you there. Um, so, when you take a look at our network, um, what you can see here is the IPv4 WAN status. This is in my virtual lab environment the ISP that my desktop is simulating and uh, passing over to Anonabox by plugging into the WAN port. So you can see that it has its own address, it has the gateway, DNS, etc. Um, if you plug this into your actual ISP, Fios, Comcast, Cox, whatever floats your boat, you'll probably see a public IP address here. 
that's usually what you're going to see. So whatever your public IPv4 address is, you're going to see that guy right there. Uh, if you have IPv6, it will also provision that tunnel. Um, we're not doing IPv6 in the virtual lab because I don't have IPv6 in the physical lab here. Um, so we're going to skip that. Most home folks won't have that. And then this active connections really just showing how many connections are and really connection states are going through the router at a given time. Um, then you can take a look at DHCP leases. These are devices that are on the network. Um, and then you finally have uh, wireless. So this is where we get into the wireless capability of the device. You can see the radio is the, this is the actual um, SSID and wireless radio that clients would connect to to use the box. So the SSID I created is a pro box. That means if you take your phone out and you're standing near the Anonibox Pro, that's the wireless router you're going to see to connect to. Uh, you can see it's at the wireless uh, pre-end standard, so 130, bit, uh, 130 megabits per second is what it's running at. Probably does true end. It seems like it fluctuates between 130 and 160, but it is a true wireless end um, router, so that's pretty cool. Um, and so... What you see down here in associated stations is really just saying this is how many wireless bases you have up. If I was using wireless for the uh, WAN, you would probably also see that listed here. Anyone have any questions about that interface? Pretty simple. No, it looks good. And I could, so if, if I, I could set this up as a home router, right, again, just to emphasize, if I wanted this to be my to be the, after it comes off the modem, it could go right in, it would assign DHCP addresses to all the PCs in the network, and it could sit right in that spot, right, and be both wireless and yep. uh, and wired, right? I could yeah. send, I'd send this to a switch or hubs, and I could feed off all the wired, and then everything right. wireless could just connect to it. Yeah, and the great thing about this is what I everything I just showed you that was set up, literally all it required me doing was specifying the SSID I wanted for the wireless and the wireless password. That, and everything else was set up automatically, so that's awesome. Um, next thing on the status menu, firewall. You're really not going to touch this as an average guy. You might want to set up some custom rules if you're using this in a, in a network you're tunneling. Um, so this is a traditional IP tables type router that you would see in a Linux environment. Really not much to see here in terms of getting anonymity. Anonibox is taking care of this management for you, which is really great. Um, same thing with routes. So it's establishing the routes for all the different interfaces, um, and you can see which ones are active. Um, and that's really just showing you what, what states are taking place. You have a basic system log saying what's going on in the router. That's pretty common. You have a basic kernel log. Uh, the kernel log is how did the system boot up. That's pretty basic. Um, then you really just have some monitoring tools, so you can see here, pretty intuitive, what's running on the box. These are the actual CPU processes, um, real-time graphs. Um, we'll show what the load is across the CPU in 1, 5, and 15-minute intervals. Um, and you can look that as load, as traffic. Um, so you can kind of see this is actually graphing the traffic probably for our Google Hangout right now. So you can see we're hitting about... Uh, half a meg in and about three megs out. Yep, that's, um, about, that's about right, too. Yeah, so pretty accurate. Um, and that's you can see it's selected for the LAN bridge right now. 
so we can change it across different interfaces to see where the traffic is. Um, so this is what it looks like. I think ETH0 is the WAN interface, um, so that would make sense because the inbound is about 2.5 megabits per second, which is correct because I'm getting your data. Um, and then if there were wireless clients, you would see how much your wireless clients are using here. Um, in this case, not much going on because I don't have anything connected, so it's just sending out broadcast. So, Christian, you're right. If you're a PFSense user, this interface makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah. I mean, it's very, very similar. It's very different in a lot of ways, but... Ideas. It's like a simplified version, but it's yeah. kind of like Welcome Home. <laughs> yeah, no, very, very much so. I'm being in that, I'm, I'm very comfortable in it because I've been in the PFSense setup quite a bit. Yeah, and you can also see signal coverage and strength, which is really nice, and you can get the uh, real-time connection. So again, I think they did a pretty nice job with showing um, how this is working, so I'm pretty pleased with the overall status capability of the, of the uh, interface. So um, yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned that you can view um, all the wireless de uh, devices that are connected to the box. Yes. Now, so is there a limit on how many devices you can connect, or is there a point where the box starts throttling uh, the devices? Um, so it's a regular DHCP server running on here. So in theory, you can have as many wireless devices as you want. I imagine after some point, the radio waves in the box gets a little bit strained. So it's probably unlikely you're going to run, you know, 300 concurrent wireless clients with a degree of happiness, but you can certainly probably put somewhere between 5 and 20 without too much of a sweat. And it can't have, in a small size, it, the antennas can't be great, so and it's not going to have the range yeah. of some of, a, of the wireless routers that are out there, so I think there's some limitations on that as well. Yep, yep. Um, so here you're seeing the fact that the box is connected to the Tor network, which I told you was happening concurrent. So this basically shows you uh, what version of Tor is running, and it shows you the circuits that the router has built to get to the Tor network. So if you know anything about how Tor works, again, see our previous episode, you can see that this router automated the process of choosing which circuits it needed to complete the connection um, to the Tor network. And then down here, you can see a little bandwidth counter of active bandwidth that's happening uh, to and from the Tor network. So overall, pretty simple status monitors. It gets the job done. Um, and so, you know, from that perspective, I'm, I'm glad it's easy, quick to use. Um, from a system standpoint, Again, really basic stuff here that you would see on a regular router. You can set up your time servers. You can set up your um, administrative login. You can set up SSH. Um, you can configure plugins and software in the Linux distro as if it were PFSense or otherwise. Um, you can actually configure custom things to start up with the box. So this will show you what things you know that are built into a not a box that start automatically, and you can have some fine, you know, this is the type of enthusiast stuff. Like I said, none of this stuff was stuff I even had to look at to get the functionality out of the box, which is great, because they're providing the minimum barrier to entry and all the enthusiast tools if you want to go all out. Um, you can configure the LED on the uh, front, so mine blinks green. Um, you can probably actually code different... Um, Flashes and, and triggers, which is pretty cool. Um, backup and firmware flash, these guys take pretty seriously having good firmware that's secure. So if they need to patch or add a new feature, you can flash this box pretty er easily. That 
falls in a line pretty well with the OpenWort standard as well. You can enter custom commands directly into the, um, the box, which is pretty sweet. Um, and then you can reboot the box, but we're not going to do that or this podcast would be over. <laughs> yeah, we would lose you. Um, so briefly, I'm going to talk about network really quick because the one this is the one menu you do actually look at when you need to set up this device for the first time. So you go up to the network menu, you click interfaces, and what you see here are the different interfaces that are on a box. So you can see the LAN is green. This is the physical um, LAN that is you know hardwired in. You can see that it's transferred about one gig out and one one point two gigs in. And you can see that this is the current IP of the Anana box on the LAN side. So if LAN clients want to connect to the box, that's the IP they want. Um, you can see the other VPN services. They're tunnel adapters, which is pretty common for a VPN. Those are also defined here. You can see the WAN interface, ETH0. And you can see its associated traffic and the ISP IP that you would be getting down here. Um, and so these are your basic physical interfaces. The only thing you really have to do here is make sure when you've, if you're doing the hardwire setup, I went to this page to make sure that the LAN and the WAN showed my IPs and showed uptime. If they don't, you need to either hit stop or connect or the appropriate button to ensure that you've established a connection and that you're seeing traffic. This is also kind of similar to what you would see in a PFSense environment. You then have, on top of here, you can drill down into the specific interface setup. So this is the interface setup for the LAN network, and you can basically see um, how the Anonabox Pro looks on the network. Again, this is all enabled by default. This is really if you want to do custom things with the HCP or your firewall or so forth, you can go in here and get as tweak-savvy as you want. Um, the big thing that we talked about on the show is wireless. So you can see that in the wireless overview panel under network, um, this is the configuration for the um, wireless radio for clients to connect to Anonabox. The only thing I had to do to set up the wireless was edit um, this configuration, set my um, general setup, I specified the SSD, uh, or excuse me, SSID, which is the um, the name of the um, wireless network I want to connect to. It automatically selects LAN, so this is where the wireless network is taking you to, the LAN network in the Nanobox Pro. And then if I go over to this wireless security tab, I can set my encryption and my wireless password key to secure the network. Um, save and apply, and it's booted up, and you have a radio. Um, and then likewise, you can go up and set another one um, for doing a wireless uplink, which is described pretty nicely in the manual. Um, so when you're looking at this and you're looking at configured Wi-Fi, it starts around page 11 in the product manual that they provide, but it walks you straight through how to use the wireless to uplink to your internet service provider. Any questions on that whirlwind tour? No, it's a good one. I'll remind everyone that if you're listening to the audio version of it, you should probably come over to TheAverageGuy.tv and find, uh, this is Cyber Frontier, so CF029, and find the video. That's the easiest way to find the video if you want to watch it, uh, a good run-through of it. Definitely. Yeah, the rest of this content will also be helpful Runa, for video. But... Any questions before we, we plow through? 
Uh, so one question. Um, so you mentioned again with uh, I saw that Viper VPN was one of the uh, services that you could uh, use. Are all the services that come through Viper VPN specifically one of their uh, proprietary uh, technologies called Chameleon, which makes it hard for um, places like, for example, China or whoever is censoring uh, internet traffic. It makes it hard for them to detect uh, VPN use. Are those available through Anonabox, or is that only a uh, Viper VPN service? So Viper VPN usually uses those technologies in the implementation of their VPN so that you get some of those features of anonymity and so forth. From the Anonabox perspective, you're looking at the Anonabox screen for what it would look like to open up a connection to Viper VPN. Uh -huh. So you would enter your username and password for that service. You would check the box to enable VPN. You can then drop down and select the location that you want to go to and then connect. Um, there's nothing really additional than that in terms of configuring Viper VPN. So any of the technologies that Viper VPN is using, such as, as Chameleon, is in the actual implementation of the service that you get when you sign up and pay for their service. Okay. So, but you can see it says, you know, it has 700 plus servers and 50 plus locations, but it has 200,000 plus global IP addresses. Right. So that's how they're getting that anonymity aspect that we talked about that makes it hard to detect it's a VPN. Does that make sense, everyone? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Good. Keep going. Awesome. So the services menu is where it's all at. So when you get, you know, at the end of the day, why are we using a nanobox? It's for one of the things in this menu. Um, I'm going to talk about Tor because that's probably what is set up right now and what is most uh, interesting from the enthusiast side. So again, you can see that it's providing my status that I'm already connected to the Tor network. Um, original product reviews I saw about this, I've heard stuff as, oh, it takes as long as two to five minutes to connect to the uh, Tor network on this. That was not my experience. Usually the connection took a maximum of 15 to 20 seconds to open up the initial circuit. So that's pretty good performance as far as I'm concerned. It's a one-time connection. You don't have to reestablish it until you lose the connection, which usually would only happen if you power off the device. Um, we have the right Tor version. Again, we see the counter. And then we see all the circuits that are built, and we can see that the Tor network is running. Um, one of the things I was talking about with the enthusiast community is this section here, advanced configuration. If you take a look at this, this is the actual configuration that you would see um, if you're running Tor-based applications directly, so either this is the client or the server side. So you can see this is a lot of the configuration that Anonabox is managing for you. Um, but they're also giving you the option to put in a custom configuration. So if you're an enthusiast and you know Tor really well, you're going to be able to go in here and tweak it just the way you want it. It's got all the comments for the settings, so if you know what you're doing, you can really go in here and fine-tune it to work to operate on the Tor network just the way you want it to. Um, what is really cool about this is A, custom bridges. So if you want Tor to go over a specific set of nodes, um, this is where you can configure that. That's a pretty important feature. Um, again, the average user probably won't care about this. This is more of an enthusiast point. Um, the thing that's really cool that is making allowing me to both podcast and be on Tor at the same time is the proxy configuration. So what the box allows you to do is, if you've ever been in a corporate environment, usually you get your internet 
through a proxy server. So when you're sitting in the corporate network, your desktop is connected to a proxy that filters bad traffic, that does some management, scans for viruses when your emails come in, etc. So this router is actually creating a proxy server that you can then configure your browser to point directly to the Anonabox IP address on your LAN. And what that lets you do is have a browser use it like a regular proxy server, but they're on the Tor network. So that's really cool. Um, so what we're going to do is switch over to that uh, in a minute. Um, if I can figure out how screen share works on here. Uh, there we go. So you should be able to see Firefox now. And if we take a look at the settings for Firefox, I'll show you what it takes to configure Firefox with Tor. You go to Advanced, your Network tab, and your Connection settings, and you can see instead of selecting most, most of the case when you're installing Firefox and using it on your home PC, you know, it's going to be checked with no proxy. What we do is we change it to manual proxy configuration. We enter the IP address of the Nanobox and the port that we created the proxy on. Um, once we hit OK and back out of this, um, we Christian, basically... can you blow that up just a smidge for me? Yeah, let's see if I can do that. Just uh, let's see if we can get a little bit, just a little small on the screen. Yeah, this window doesn't match because yeah, it's, okay. it's okay. Firefox. Um, Try the hamburger menu and see if there's a... If there's a uh, just a plus sign on, there we go. Perfect. Thank you. So that is Firefox in the. So you drop down here, you hit your options gear. That takes you to this page, which we got back. And you're gonna go down to the advanced tab, network, settings, and then this is the window where you enter the IP address for the Anonobox in the HTTP proxy line and specify the port. So what that lets you do is now you're connected directly. This browser only is connected directly to Tor using the proxy server. So uh, what's important to distinguish is hopefully you would be in a, if you're going to use a proxy server, you should kind of make sure that there's nothing between your box and the Anana box. So you want a direct connection if you're using the proxy uh, configuration, which will be the scenario for, you know, 99% of folks. So, because you could technically maybe leak information about your connection to other people in your LAN if uh, there's more hops. But, you know, again, for 99% of the people, they're, they're wired into Anana box directly. Not going to have to worry about with that with the proxy. And now uh, you can see if I refresh the page, uh, which it's thinking about. Congratulations, this browser is configured to use Tor. Your IP address appears to be this IP. If you went and looked up that IP on the internet, you would see it's a Tor exit node. So this website checks that you're connected to Tor by seeing if the public IP address that's connecting to its server is a publicly listed Tor exit node. You can also tell if I refresh the page again, um, chances are it will hop around on IP addresses. So you see 9311595201. If we were to give this a few minutes and come back, it will hop around to another node. Um, right now it's staying on this node, but um, it's definitely um, something that will cycle over time. Now, 
an important disclaimer that I need to make about this, and you can see on this page, is that if you want true anonymity, your browser is a massive walking footprint vacuum cleaner of leaving all sorts of signals uh, saying who you are and what your profile is. So chances are you don't want to connect your regular browser directly to Tor because I'm going to see your user agent, I'm going to see some other stuff. I'm, I might still be able to actually trace you. Even though I don't know what IP you're coming from, I say, hey, I recognize Jim's user agent string. He just bought something on Amazon three weeks ago. There it is. Um, so now I know that Jim is using the Tor network and he was dumb enough to use his regular browser. Jim's not that dumb, though. He's a smart guy. So what he's going to do is use a vanilla scrubbed browser that doesn't have those user agents, doesn't have the plugins, probably has JavaScript disabled. What you have to remember about browsers, the way they're set up, is they're set up for maximum entertainment, maximum advertising, maximum juice. What this basically means is it's leaking signals and data all over the place. You might be connected to the Tor network, but you might still be leaking signals. If you have JavaScript enabled, JavaScript might actually be making connections that aren't going through the Tor network. It might actually not be using your Tor circuits and going through your real connection, which also will leak information. So the easiest way to avoid all of this is to probably go and download and use the Tor browser software, which disables all that stuff for you. Um, one of the limitations of that that I'm still trying to work on with the Nanobox is whenever I run the software to set up Tor, it wants to establish the connection directly, which we don't want to do because that's what Anonobox is doing for us. We just want to be able to use it as a regular user. Um, so from that perspective, you know, you want to follow the guidelines for how to uh, install a browser of your choice that has all the minimal stuff down. So you want to pair off your user agent, you want to disable JavaScript, um, and really, if you go to the download page here for the Tor browser, you'll see want Tor to really work, you need to change some of your habits as some things won't work exactly as you're used to. This is basically explaining all the types of things I'm talking about with um, what's going on here. So things like don't download documents, use HTTPS, um, etc. Um, don't enable or install browser plugins, right? So those are the types of things that um, the Tor browser is automatically disabling. I don't really use Firefox that often. If I do, I use it as a developer environment. So I feel totally comfortable accessing all the main features of Firefox just to get my anonymity. Um, and then using Chrome is kind of like my regular day-to-day -day browsing. Um, so Firefox is probably a pretty good uh, browser to get away with doing, um, kind of making your own Tor um, browser, so to speak. Um, I will publish in the show notes updated guidance if I figure out how to get the... Tor browser software to play in the sandbox with um, the um, the actual um, Anonobox uh, connection as opposed to making another you know circuit connection. Uh, but that's really important to make sure that your browser is not leaking those tidbits of information that are uh, potentially compromising your anonymity even though you're not showing your IP address. I feel like that's, now that you're saying that, Christian, you know, you do all this work, and then the browser just leaks your information anyways. You know, it's it's an interesting, I hadn't thought, you know, I hadn't thought all the way through that, that if you want to stay. And when we think about remaining completely anonymous, um, 
you know, there are some use cases I was reading. Oh, I think I was off the Anonobox site. You know, they're like, well, who 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 does this? Well, you know, think there are some reporters who are doing some information. They don't necessarily want. They have sources that they don't want to expose, and so they want to keep those keep that traffic anonymous. I think in some of the in some of the networks, in some of the um, here, I'll switch back off so we're not watching you. Are you done on the on the browser side? Uh, stuff, or you got more to show? Uh, maybe in a minute. Okay. We'll in a so minute. Uh, so I'll keep it. I'll leave it over there. I think you think of uh, 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 folks who are going at special crimes units who are trying to go with with both the human trafficking and some of those things that are happening. They of course want to communicate, but they don't want the bad guys to know that they're communicating in some of these um, environments. And so when we think about that, those are some real world cases where being completely anonymous or having your traffic being anonymous is not necessarily the bad guy stuff, right? We often think, we often equate this with, oh, it's the bad guys trying to cover their tracks. Sometimes it's the good guys trying to cover their tracks. So uh, a good use case for it. Yeah. Um, another thing to note about this uh, is that the .onion URLs that will work in the Tor browser aren't going to work in Firefox. That's what I wanted to test here. Um, so you're going to need to use the Tor browser to do that. So I will have to publish some updated guidance. I didn't get that far in, in tinkering with this because I was so excited that I could get, you know, anonymity without, <laughs> you know. But this is this is entering the barrier. This is the difference between having an anonymous profile and then wanting to go to the deep web, right? So you can be anonymous and take advantage of the Tor network without traveling to the deep web, right? Because I'm able to get to my regular sites and appear as a Tor client. Um, if you want to use those dot onion and get into that whole world of stuff, um, you're going to want to get that Tor browser out and get it hooked up to an Onbox Pro. And so we're going to have to issue some additional uh, guidance there. Okay. Cool. What else? Christian, got any more? Is that or is that just about cover it? We're that's that's about on the hour. Yeah, we're coming up on the hour. Um, yeah. I just killed the screen share here. Runa, uh, go ahead. You yeah. hold on, let me let me take it off. You, do you have a question, Runa? Oh no, no. Okay. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I really think overall, um, hundred twenty dollars for a device that size. You say, gee, that sounds expensive, but I was really impressed with just how much they covered the different feature set really in depth, really well. I didn't feel like, you know, for the price tag that I was getting ripped off. You know, I didn't I didn't feel like I was funding a Kickstarter, so to speak. I really felt like there was some good thought put into the product design and that it really um, it's small, it's portable, it's fast, it has a variety of different services to use, it's uh, it's effective. Um, and so I really do think it is a fair price. Uh, I think the introductory models start around 70 or 80 bucks, which is probably even you know better. Um, so I was pretty happy with the price point. Um, I think customers will see the value in that price point. And uh, again, it was almost like getting a full PFSense router with a bunch of these extra features in something that I can fit in my pocket. So you know, I, for that price tag, I, I won't complain. Yeah, well, tons of thought going on behind as we saw the the uh, the interface to it and some of the work and uh, the guys. Again, if I'll, in the show notes, I'll leave a link to where we interviewed and on a box, and you want to go back and and uh, a good interview of just the infrastructure and how they're set up. They're out of Chico, California, 
very open with us and uh, very interested in uh, hearing from the community. They they wanted to know how we're using it and how it's how it's being used and new features and what are some of the thoughts. And the Viper announcement came post our show even. They had not announced that yet, and so they had announced Viper uh, a couple weeks after we'd had them on. So some interesting things that they're doing with it. One of the things I like, it's a small group, uh, you know, from a small business perspective, trying to make it run, and so hopefully they'll be around for a while as they sell these products, and it doesn't seem like they're trying to overextend themselves. So if you go to anonabox.com and look at their products, um, really they've got a nice layout. Um, and the graphic design, whoever's doing that's dynamite. Um, but they've got a really nice layout of, um, of what they're doing and what they're selling and what's available for them. And, of course, really we talked about, you know, uh, Christian, you mentioned uh, the, the kind of the, the entry level called the tunneler. And that's right. um, we sent Mike Wieger one of those, so he had the tunneler. And then, uh, of course, I, I have the pro sporting the light that's on right now. Yep. Coming in. I have I have done something to mine. I think I'm going to have to reset it. I was hacking on it earlier, and I think I've uh, I've, I've shut some things off that uh, I probably need to turn back on. I think there's a reset button on the front right there that I will push in and uh, and get a good, good old factory reset and jump back in there. Waruna, anything, any, any thoughts, final thoughts, final questions from you before we wrap this thing? Um, I mean, other than, like you mentioned, uh, I think both Christian and uh, you mentioned originally $120. Um, when I saw the price tag, I was a little surprised. But then, you know, as Christian talked more and more about the features and how how much work has really been put into this, yeah, I'd say, you know, the price point, the services, they're probably, you know, they're well-priced. and do It's a very solid uh, device, at least from what we've uh, been discussing. Yeah. yeah. No. Very good. Well, we'll thank. Th they did send those to us, so just full disclosure, I, I had them send one to Christian. They sent one to me as well, as we've been talking about them, and so we'll uh, we'll disclose that as well. Uh, many after the home server, or I'm sorry, after home gadget geeks, uh, uh, purchased those, and uh, so we appreciate your support on that. It's always nice when we have a guest on and you gave it a try. If you did, if you were a Home Gadget Geeks listener, you bought one, you've been using it, we'd love to hear how you're using it. That would be awesome. Send me a note to jim at theaverageguy.tv. We'll read those on the next Cyber Frontiers. And uh, we, we just kind of love to hear, is it working? Uh, you know, again, I have mine kind of set up, or had mine kind of set up at this point. I fired it up tonight and realized I couldn't connect it, so I must have, I, I must have borked it somehow uh, in the process of myself. I'm sure that was my fault. Um, but uh, travel router is kind of what I've intended to use that for. Take it in, set up one, and then all the devices connect to it. Um, Christian, for, from your standpoint, uh, certainly that's one use case. Have you had any other thoughts of now that you got it, or are you going to use it for some other stuff in your studies? Yeah, I mean, I certainly like the idea of having kind of a wirelessly available Tor client just because, uh, you know, undergraduate computer science curriculum. These are big topics right now. A lot of people are actually studying the technologies of how you build a Tor network, um, how it was done, um, and how the protocol works. So, you know, there's a lot of different um, academic use cases that I could see that would be cool to just kind of have one of these devices around for. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty cool. Very good. All right. Well, any uh, any thoughts on uh, where we're going with 30? You know, 30 is the magic number. If we can just get Cyber Frontiers to 30, it means we've made it from a podcast standpoint. Yeah. Have you put any thought in uh, what, to what we'll do with uh, Cyber Frontiers 30? 
Uh, not too much yet. I wanted to do some justice on the Unanabox Pro, so we're going to uh, hit the uh, hit the think tank for making Show 30 a, a solid uh, lineup. But I'm All looking right. forward to it. All right, a couple weeks from now, and uh, we, we're getting these in just kind of as we can. So thank the both of you for jumping in here and uh, and for chatting tonight. Man, that hour went fast, so nice job on the demo. Christian, a good really walkthrough. We did not do that kind of walkthrough on our Home Gadget Geeks. We, we more and more talked about the company and kind of the average guy scenarios, and this was a real deep dive into the interface. So remind everyone, uh, take advantage of the resources we have over at theaverageguy.tv. So if you haven't been over there in a while, we got some reviews that we're doing. We're doing a lot of video reviews these days. It's just a lot easier and a lot faster to get those done. So if you notice, some of the reviews are hands-on, although we've got some written reviews out there as well, some of the products uh, that we're working on. And so if you haven't been out in a while, uh, you maybe you've just been listening to the podcast, head out to theaverageguy.tv. Love your feedback on that as well. Just a reminder that the Windows 10 day is kind of drawing near. So July 29th or somewhere around that, of course, is the deadline if you were going to download Windows 10 for free and uh, take advantage of it. I don't think it's going to be free come August 1st. So if you haven't taken advantage of that, uh, a bunch of steps to uh, to get that done, but uh, you might something you might want to take advantage of. Of course, we always appreciate when you use the, uh, the Average Guy Tech Scholarship Fund link out there. Is that you, Christian? Or, or Not me, man. Oh. <laughs> it's, it sounded like a super nice motorcycle. Though, I thought so. so. Yeah, I think <laughs> that, that somebody... must be behind you. Yeah, yeah. I just heard it, yeah. <laughs> it sounded uh, sweet. If you want to pick up a motorcycle like that, I'm sure those are available on Amazon. Just <laughs> use the Amazon affiliate link, theaverageguy.tv slash Amazon. Many of you have been doing that, of course. We appreciate your support. It allows us to buy some stuff, ship it out for reviewers, those kinds of things to be able to get that kind of stuff done. And so when you do that, we appreciate it. TheAverageGuy.tv slash Amazon. We're out here every, well, no, I can't say that on this show. We're out here whenever we get a chance to do it, and we appreciate Christian, actually, the numbers for 20, what's this, 29? So the numbers for 28, considering we hadn't done anything in six months, didn't skip a beat. I was I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Four five hundred downloaded it, which had been about our numbers before. Those hadn't wavered very much. So we'll say say thanks if you're a faithful Cyber Frontiers listener and you got all the way to this part of the program. Uh, that means you are, and um, and so thanks for continuing to keep it in your. Uh, in your podcast player. We appreciate that. Uh, always great. So follow my Twitter. And even then, like tonight, I, I tweeted with about 30 minutes just because the schedules have been just shaky getting everybody together. But uh, we appreciate you listening. And uh, we'll be back with Cyber Frontiers 30, the podcast episode that locks this all into the future. And with that, we'll say goodnight, everybody. <laughs>